1: Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 4th, episode 1668. This episode is brought to you today by S. Equestrian. Good morning, horse world. Oh my God, it's Tuesday.
2: It's top class show jumping
1: uh, at the very best.
3: Every horse is different, and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse.
1: Remember, we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off.
3: You can't ask
1: for anything more. It's just pure theatre. Well, happy Tuesday, everyone. The Jumping episode crew is out and about taking care of business today. So sit back and enjoy this previously aired masterpiece from the Hidden Audio Vaults, featuring horse shopping in Europe with Rick McGrath, moving up the levels with Samantha Perlman, and developing your horse's eye with Jimmy Fairclaw. Yeah, happy to be back. Very exciting. Fun day of the month.
0: We can actually hear each other now.
1: I know it's really clear. I love <laughs> <It's amazing>. it. <laughs> it really is
0: your opener. You probably never really heard that before because it was always kind of muffled.
1: <laughs> it is a little bit garbly. but like, yeah, I mean, the content was awesome. But now that it's so sharp, it feels like you're there. You're like watching live stream. That's I love right. it. It's very cool.
0: <laughs> yes, it is nice, and the listeners uh, uh, are enjoying actually hearing us too. So that's that's all good. Well, you are now. You I, well, just remind everybody. Emily joins us for the jumping episode. The first two. Tuesday of every month for new listeners, and we talk all about show jumping and the world of jumping. Emily is a jumper herself, been doing it since she was a little kid, and she travels the circuit from Florida to New York, and now you're in Socrates and you said it's a bit chilly up there in New York. Oh my
1: gosh, morning. it is so cold. We, Those of you that know, you know, the A-Circuit jumping riders, I mean, Dressage as well, all of the, the top sport horses travel to where it's warm in the winter, wherever that may be so we can compete. So for us, that's down to Florida. We go to Wellington. We stay there for the whole circuit. I actually go down early and stay late, those of you that know me, for various reasons, not only because I'm a WIMP, but I have other like obligations. Like I have to fly up to IHSA finals and a lot of juggling going on. But I, I stayed down for an extra probably three weeks past everybody. I came up like the 16th or 17th of May. And it was actually pretty warm uh, for a couple days. That was just a few days before Hit Socrates started, which is a huge circuit up here. Lots of fun. The kickoff is always a great, great feeling when you get back. It's like family, you know, everybody's hanging out again.
0: The show's season started up there about three weeks ago.
1: It did. This is the beginning of week three. Uh, so we that's the final week of the first spring three-week circuit. It's a fun show. There's A lot of the riders that come here go to Ocala, so I don't always see them during the winter. So it's really fun to see everybody back showing. We've got some good classes running. I have to give a little shout out to our S-Equestrian rider. Ronan McGuigan has won all of the welcomes and most of the Grand Prix in his S-Equestrian shirt. We love it. Congratulations, okay, okay. Ronan. And Devin Ryan has been winning a lot, too. He was down there at devon he was third in that big class on one of his wait a minute devon
0: is winning at devon i know (laughs)
1: devon yeah (laughs) devon is winning at devon so (laughs) not to be confusing but no it's great we got some good riders out there this season so it's very fun to see them all back up in the northeast great showing up here
0: now, but it's cold. You said it's like 40 degrees oh this my morning. God. What the
1: heck's going it's on up so there? It's so cold. I know. I feel like such a wimp. But, you know, I'm like renting like a summer cottage. There's no heat in this in this house. Like it is really, really cold. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. Some people would be embarrassed. I have probably like six jackets on, a couple sweaters, a few scarves. I didn't have a hat, you know, so I had to wrap a scarf around my head. It's desperate <laughs> times. I look like a disaster. But, I mean, desperate times. What do you want me to do?
0: Well, you know, and I wanted to remind, uh, tell everybody that uh, Emily last year when she was in Socrates had to fight to find an Internet connection that we could actually do the show with. And she would she would <laughs> she was at McDonald's one morning and she'd that go off awesome. to Starbucks and then she would try and steal from the nearest hotel. Uh, we did everything we could to get her an Internet. It's not known for for being uh, modern. And uh, you, you actually your connection right now is better than it ever was last year.
1: Oh my gosh, that was so outrageous. I didn't know that I needed to be prepared to go Wi Fi hunting. So that's sort of like, I think it was the first episode or whatever, one of the first ones that the Wi Fi cut out. And I'm like running in between one of my, I was able to get a pre recorded interview. I used that time to like run desperately and try to get Wi Fi. I ended up setting up outside the horse show office, like, with everybody walking by and the water truck and everything. (laughs) I was like, we got to find a better situation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the grounds doesn't have very good Wi-Fi up there either. It's like you're in the middle of freaking nowhere.
1: I know. (laughs) And we are, you know, and we're all here. So it feels big because we're all here. But I mean, here, here, where are we? We are. We're in the middle of nowhere. And and Socrates is
0: due north uh, from New York City. What, about an hour and a half, two hours?
1: It's about uh, uh, exactly 100 miles.
0: So that's actually in the area where where all of the rich people would go to summer was up that way uh, out of New York City, right? To
1: be in the middle of nowhere, you know, to get out of the city and get away from the strip malls, no chain restaurants, barely any cell service. It's awesome. We're like next to Woodstock, you know, it's kind of, that's the demographic. How far are you from the uh,
0: Culinary <laughs> Institute of America? I heard that, by the way. How, how far are you from the Culinary Institute of America? That's up that way. Isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is, which is awesome. It's across the river. I think it's, I want to say it's about an hour from here. But what you get, because everybody that graduates starts looking around for jobs and opening up restaurants. So there is so many on both sides of the river, so many fantastic restaurants, high-end delis, you know, catering, whatever. It's it's for food. It's it's awesome in all the towns up here.
0: I didn't realize that. I'm getting back to your previous comment about Woodstock. I didn't realize that a lot of them stayed.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) It's outrageous. It really is. It's hardcore. When you go into real Woodstock, you're like, I mean, every like you can spot them a mile away like some of these guys they're fried like they're real hippies (laughs) I mean it's like like a lot of these people probably don't have jobs I mean it's you know the 60s were a long
0: time ago that's a lot of drugs between now and then it is and it
1: shows you know we can tell (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really is. What's really funny is talking like my farrier. He's really cool. We got to get him on one day. He is from this area originally, Catskill, right around the corner. And he is in his, uh, in his 50s now. So he's he's watched it happen. Like he's he, he has the whole sort of backstory of the locals about just the total overtaking from the hippie community coming in for Woodstock and then taking over the towns and just sort of like the real uh standoff between the local people not wanting all the burnout hippies coming into town and it's really <laughs> wild. I was I didn't know there was so much drama around it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, they all went to New York back in the sixties for Woodstock, and they didn't have any money to go home, so they just but stayed. You know, they are so, still
1: here. <laughs> I will tell you, there is a large collection. <laughs>
0: they couldn't afford gas, so they just oh. stayed with their with their uh, you know VW oh, yeah. vans.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, the long hair, the bandanas. I mean, there was a guy came into the coffee shop yesterday, and Eric and I were like, where Where did he come from? I mean. <laughs> like is this acceptable like attire anywhere i mean he had on all kinds of crazy like shells and bracelets and he was a real mountain man maybe even a hippie mountain man i think
0: <laughs> we have the rainbow people here in ocala and we didn't know anything <laughs> about rainbow people until we moved to ocala and they show up the the ocala forest here is thousands of acres of forest and it's a you know it's state it's a cover a federal protected forest and uh, they show up, and they hang out in the forest. Uh, and thousands of them, there'll be two, three, four thousand of them show up, and they all walk in from wherever they come from, you know, in the summertime. So, they come here for the winter and spend two months of the year in the forest, and uh, uh, they're, they're always counting a certain number of forest fires and things. But uh. They're setting the place on fire accidentally, and... <laughs> Uh, they pretty much let them alone. The police pretty much let them alone. They figure if they're over there in the forest and they stay, it's good. But you no, know, they have to roust them out every once in a while for panhandling and things like that. But wow. for the most part, they hang out in the forest. And there's always news stories about them when they show up. And you see them wandering in with their backpacks and hiking to the forest. Uh, really, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> yeah.
0: They're like the hippies of today, the rainbow people.
1: Wow, that's a great documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Someone needs to make that. I'm into it. I want to see more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we actually went to New Orleans in the summertime two years ago, and they were there. Apparently, that's really? where they go before they come here. So that's
1: what I was going to ask. Where yep. else do they go? That's a okay. stopping
0: point uh, before they hike their way across the Panhandle of Florida. Geez, end up in which O'Cala. is a long way. <clears throat> who knew right who knew Who knew?
1: gosh <laughs> now, exciting though we like it
0: now what do you have uh jumping right now what uh you have horse wise
1: so we have um sort of the conclusion to my winter season those of you that know my my pretty gray mare we did s- decide finally to retire her she's 14 years old so I left her down in Florida she's being bred Miss High Heels She's super, super special. She's got a fan club following her her whole life, no matter who is riding her. She's awesome. And her sire was really fantastic too. And she looks just like him. So, on the breeding angle, she's got fabulous papers. We're going to breed her. She may actually already be pregnant. We got to call down to the vet. So, that's it's bittersweet. I mean, there were some tears about it. I love the mare and I just want to keep riding her. But you just she, I own her and you just have to use your discretion really when is the time that you want to let them down? And every horse is different. There are horses that are jumping into their late teens and twenties. This mare was a little bit creaky. I think for sure I could have gone and done another season on her, but it's just like, you know, I just had to make that horseman's decision. Like, what am I doing? Am I just going to ride it till the wheels fall off? And then ask her to go have babies, which is a job, you know, for me, she's going to be a broodmare and she will carry the babies. So I thought, you know what, we're doing great. She's won a bunch of ribbons. She started cutting down a little bit in the combinations, which lets you know, you know, they're, they're getting a little creaky. So, uh, yeah, and you got I to did. decide, you almost
0: have to decide, you know, am <sighs> I doing this for me or the horse? That's what
1: I came to. I was like, it would be really selfish to know. I know that she's probably at the most got a year, maybe two in, but she's not going to go and jump top sport, global champions or something. We're not going to where I really want to go. So it would be for me. You know, I would just take those last couple seasons and all that wear and tear on her. And I just thought, you know, let's, let's do this for the horse, quit while we're ahead. She has been fantastic. And I don't want her to, to take a nosedive and quit when we're, you know, we can't dig ourselves out. So anyways, she's, down there is being bred can't wait it's gonna be a great baby so then coming north i only came north with one being my mom's horse the jumping dumpling uh he's been quite good the actually, jumping dumpling
0: i, I like <laughs> yeah. that that's good <laughs> he is I like he's jumping perfectly dumpling.
1: round like a beach ball or a dumpling <laughs> um, how does he get over he, the jumps i don't know man it's so weird he really does remember i put that video on facebook was it last year he jumped like a 160 track in the in the Grand Prix ring. You know,
0: most horses hit their feet. You know, they rub their ankles and stuff on the jumps. He, this one rubs his belly.
1: He looks like he could. <laughs> he, he is such, he's like, he looks like, you know, a couch potato beer belly kind of guy. And he acts like that too. He wants to trot in the corners. But you put him to a big jump and he will just jump on over it. Granted, he's like the slowest horse ever. So I don't, I'm not competitive. <laughs> no time but, <laughs> classes for him. Yeah. <laughs> but he's good to my mom. So he takes her around and he's worth his weight in gold. But so I came with him and then you guys remember my little black stallion that we were kind of deciding, is he going to be gelded or what are we doing? And he kind of sort of took a step forward and was quite good. And the partnership, they got excited about him and they actually took him to France. He's going to be developed there as a young jumper, kind of see where he's at. So he did his first horse show. He was awesome. And then I am going to pick up his little brother. So next episode, we'll have an update on Flash's little brother hipster. So the stallion had a
0: choice. He could go to upstate New York or go to France. I think I'd I pick know. France too, you know. I don't
1: know, they eat horses in France. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I let him know that before I got on the plane. You keep it together, buddy. Yeah, you better jump. <laughs> 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 I know. No, it is cool because it was a partnership. You know, we own half of two horses. And so there's another, it's the Gutals, you know, they're a big show jumping family. So they're involved and uh, they they weren't quite sure, you know, if he was special enough, but we did a few jump schools and he really, really looked super. So they got excited and, and off he went, the little black stallion on his way to France.
0: It's Brianne, It's Brienne, right?
1: It's Brienne and um, Clementine. And Clementine is the daughter that uh, had so much success on my mare, Rustella, who is the mother of these two babies. And are they showing
0: in France right now? Are they over there?
1: They are. I think they might be a little bit back and forth.
0: Okay.
1: Yep. Very good. So we'll see. I'm actually going to be over there in two weeks. So I'm going to go check on them. So I'll give you an update. what the showing's like over there.
0: Very cool. Well, yeah. let's uh, find out what's going on in the jumping world as we do every month.
1: Oh, yeah. Have our super legit news segment from Jennifer Wood Media with Jen Wood herself. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you. How are you guys? We're good. Uh, You sound great. Thank you. (laughs) This is is super cool. (laughs) This is our first guest, and this is approved. This is very, very quality audio. Wow. Okay. Well, where are you, Jen? You've been traveling, lady. You were in Florida. I know we got to hook up down there, and then you were in New York, right, for a little bit? Yeah, I was at the Old Salem Farm Spring Horse Shows,
4: um, which is two weeks of national level um, in North Salem, but they're just beautiful horse shows, and they have a huge grass field that a lot of the Grand Prix riders were using as uh, a warm-up for Spruce Meadows.
1: Yes, that's right, because then everybody was on their way yes. from there. It's a jam-packed schedule. Jeez, this has been an exciting season, the spring season, and, and especially it seems like this year there's a lot of top riders traveling around and mm-hmm. a lot of sort of up-and-comers, right? We had some, a few riders uh, sort of surprise us and jump up and win some big classes. Yeah. And I think, you know, that just
4: goes to show how deep, you know, United States and North America are in top riders. And um, and now we're getting those kind of events that really showcase everybody's talent. And there's more events on the calendar and more FEI classes on the calendar now. So I think you're going to see that translate into a lot of success for our top riders internationally, too.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different options. And um, you're right about that field that really plays an integral part for our riders domestically and close to home, since a lot of them are basing out of the Northeast here to get some good mileage on a, a proper field, which is kind of few and far between these days.
4: Yeah, you don't see a good turf very often. Um, and probably, you know, one of the best in the world and certainly the best in North America is Bruce Meadows, which starts tomorrow with their first of. Um, Five shows of the summer series and four of those shows are five-star events.
1: Wow. I didn't yeah. so this is the first week. Okay, so this and there are quite a few of our top American writers have shot up to do those those weeks, which in the past uh, quite a few of them did not go. It was sort of new on the calendar. I started hearing, okay, we're getting a good collection up there.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, probably the last seven or eight years, they've really, really grown. And Spruce Meadows has put a ton of work into having the best footing, the best prize money, the best sponsors, and it's bringing the best riders and horses there.
1: And at the end of the circuit, they have, uh, what amounts to be almost a million dollar class, correct? They have, um,
4: so the, they have these five weeks in the summer and there's, Kind of bookending the first week and the last week, both Grand Prix are presented by Rolex and they're both $400,000. And then in September is the Spruce Meadows Masters, which is the huge show. And that's when the $1.5 million uh, CP Grand Prix is.
1: Wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> very exciting. And now that most of those classes will be live streamed, right?
4: Yeah. Um, if you go to their website, spruce meadows.com, you can find, um, you know, a place to view there. And then spruce meadows is, you know, really heads and tails above any other horse show in terms of television coverage. Um, they have regular TV coverage for all of their big events too. So, um, you know, through the Canadian broadcasting corporation. So they, they really do it right up there.
1: It's so nice. Yeah, I've never been, well we were talking about it last um episode, but it the I, the word on the street is that it's just a fantastic venue. It's so beautiful. There's something it's, for everybody, spectators, shopping. Is that would you say that's the case for different level riders?
4: Absolutely. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen for a horse show. Every ring is grass. Um so it's You know, it's stunning and it's green and the landscaping is mature and beautiful. And the great thing about it is that they've really cultivated that local market. You know, Calgary is a big city, but not gigantic by any means. It's not New York City or anything, but they've really gotten the local people to support the sport and come out. And when you're, you know, in that giant arena the main ring, um, the international ring, and it's packed with people all around, you know, they get 30,000 people
1: easily there on the big events. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty special. That is, and from, yes, for sponsorship, for just boosting the sport, just sort of accessibility, that's very exciting.
0: Well, there's not a lot to do. It's in the middle of nowhere in Canada. They have to come (laughs) out and watch the the jumping. Yeah, that's right. It's either they go watch, you know, Calgary Stampede, but that's only like two weeks a year. And then they can go watch jumping the rest of the time.
1: Right.
4: So it's not that jumping is so
1: fantastic. It's just that (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing else to do. I don't know. I think jumping is that fantastic. I think it should pack a stadium. (laughs) Right. regardless of what's going on
0: <laughs> or where it is
1: or where it is. <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. So that's
4: kind of, you know, the big event starting this week. Um, and then the new Tryon international equestrian center in North Carolina, they have their second of uh, two FEI weeks starting tomorrow as well. And it's a four star there. Um, So they have a $210,000 Grand Prix on Sunday. So that's going to be, you know, a huge event for them. The facility only opened last spring. So um, they've kind of leaped ahead in terms of offering really quality events for riders that stay in the U.S. in the summer.
0: I got to ask you. So, where is Tryon? So, that's in New York. That's actually, or I'm sorry, North Carolina. That's actually uh, near the Biltmore. Yes. uh, Not too far from there. And so, who is that drawing from? Is that taking people out of the Kentucky Horse Park for their season? Is it taking people out of New York? You know, it's obviously taking people from somewhere.
4: Yeah, I think it's kind of all of the above. It's getting people, you know, who maybe didn't want to from the southeast who didn't want to drive all the way to kentucky or drive all the way up north um and it's getting some of those people who would have gone to kentucky or
0: oops i think we uh you back, in we lost you for a second
4: i'm
1: here sorry flicker a flicker of technological difficulties
0: (laughs) (laughs) so you were saying that it's just taking people from a little bit from everywhere
4: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's some people who have to change their schedule each year. They don't have the horses to go to Europe um, or they don't have the top horses that can compete at Spruce Meadows. So they stay home or closer to home and do um, shows that, you know, are up and coming like this one.
1: Yeah. People really love that try on venue. Yeah. I think it's going to be spectacular. You know, they've, they have
4: put a lot of work into it in the past year and even more to come.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see it. That's another place that I haven't been. Um, I, I can't wait to see it. The, everybody says it's absolutely amazing. It's so horse-friendly, yeah. so many arenas to ride in, and... Right. People, I I mean, kind of are talking that there would just kind of settle around that area, like make that sort of their their uh, summer, spring, summer and or fall location. There's that nice.
0: And it's so funny. We were talking about the the hippies that went to New York and never left. (laughs) Asheville is kind of an artsy town.
1: It, it is. is. Yeah. So it's, it's, really kind, it's kind
0: of the hippie town of North Carolina. Um, yeah. And it's in the mountains. So it's, re- you know, it's really up there in the mountains. Uh, we actually went to the Biltmore one New Year's Eve and it was snowing and it was one of the most beautiful things. And anybody's never been to the Biltmore, it's one of the biggest houses in America. Uh, and it just reminds you of, of England. And it just, it's really cool to see in the summer or winter. It's a really neat place.
4: It's a gorgeous area. And there's a ton to do, you know, when you're not at the horse show. Yeah, it's a very
0: artsy town, very, uh it's, you know, for a mountain town, it's got a ton of restaurants and theaters yeah. and just all kinds of stuff there.
1: It's kind of like a destination. Well, and then the college that's close to there. Yeah. So, um, like, uh, yeah, Appalachian State is close. Is that what it is? Yeah.
0: I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's a cool area. Now, what would you say? Ashe- Asheville is, like, maybe, like, for, uh, 45 minutes or something from, from Tryon? Yeah, just about... Um, 45 minutes east and then not too far
4: away across the border south is the greenville spartanburg area in south carolina
0: right nice that's correct yeah because we went up from greenville that night uh that new year's eve that's where we drove up from and it's about 45 minutes
1: yeah okay
0: greenville's neat too neat town
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it is beautiful horse country there they've act, they've got tons of breeding operations, and I was actually looking into a field for my babies up there because the soil is so nice and the hills yeah. i mean it, it's it's real horse country in fact, that was I didn't know this um before somebody told me this that uh back in the day when Dinemathy came over that he went to try on fort first yes. there was a horse community, yeah, so it's like old you know. His, historical horse country for us. Well, you right? know,
0: it, we were talking about the fact that, uh, where you are in New York now, Emily, is where the rich people all went up and summered out of New York. The, the ones who didn't summer up there took the train down to Asheville. That's where, wow. that's the other direction they headed because you're at the very edge of the Smoky Mountains there. Um, yep. and you know, the Smoky Mountains start, you know, from west from there are the Smoky Mountains and that's, that's where they were. And then Pigeon Forge is over there, not too far from there. And, you know, all, all, we always call that the the uh, beach town in the mountains because it kind of looks like you're at the beach. Um, yeah, so a very cool area.
1: That's great. Well, that should really pick up. It th- I already sounds that there's tons of people that I've spoken to that are going that haven't been. And the people who have been are very excited. So that's yeah. just on the upswing there. And now there's another big circuit to choose from, right?
4: Yeah, there's the Colorado Horse Park, um, which uh, as well starts tomorrow. Um, and they have seven weeks of horse shows. And they're wow. all, um, you know, national level Grand Prix, but it's really a, a fantastic opportunity for um, riders to stay in one spot. And uh, again, another beautiful mountain town area just outside Denver. Um, and they, have increased the prize money this year. They've added a show during what was um, an off week before so that people can, you know, make the decision to stay instead of traveling back and forth. Um, So, you know, they've really, they're going to start making investments into the property there as well and and make that a really top venue. And it's not just um, Hunter Jumper. Last week they had eventing horse trials and they have dressage shows so oh that's it's, it's, it's right they have the big course place yeah they have a, a ton oh, of yeah. land and it's um another great venue to consider
1: yeah um we had my husband and i had a business down in dallas for like six years and obviously it's unbearable in texas in the summer so we yeah. would drive out to colorado and do that whole circuit and it was so nice and this was before they they even really did all the footing and, and made it even better. Well, you know, we caught the tail end of that because one of our last years was one of the years that they did the Young Riders out there and right. it started kind of picking up. But it is a big venue. The Grand Prix ring is cool. I think, it doesn't it, it, when, it used to have a bank and stuff. Does it still have that, Synthetic Naturals?
4: You know, I'm not sure about the, those, the venue um, for that ring, but... Yeah, I know I they know redid the a lot, so... And- on, doing, on improving the footing in all of the rings and then um, probably looking at a turf ring area as well. Wow, that would be cool. Yeah.
1: That's a great venue, and you're right. There's things to do in the area. It's, it's absolutely a location. It, people are comfortable spectating. It's a big property. You don't feel jammed up. We were there. We, we would kind of make like a whole, um, you know, like, summer spring and summer of it so we would stay out there a bit and you never got tired of it you know it's big enough and sprawling enough the horses you can go out a little bit on the trails you can ride to different rings it's a great venue for sure something you want to check out yeah it's a and now, definitely a mountain summer all yeah. three of these in the mountains it's true well you get it's nice though like at that altitude you can get out of the the sun and it's just really cool
4: yeah it's good for so, the horses i think
1: It can be. Not all horses. I'll tell you, those of you who haven't gone to Colorado, it is at high, high altitude. And I, my first year, I brought a very old, awesome uh, sort of school pony, Houdini. He could break out of anywhere, but I think he was 35 years old. He was an old man, but he was (laughs) perfect. He would like win the short stirrup like he was a machine, a machine. Man, I got him up there and we pulled the poor guy off the trailer and he was absolutely lame in all four feet. So, so, so bad. We had the vet come out and he was like, look, this, and he, the horses, their pony rather was fine when we were down, not at altitude, uh, totally fine. I didn't even show him on medication, got him up there, couldn't even walk. And the vet was like, oh, you see this sometimes with these older guys, if they have some sort of, you know, navicular, some sort of changes that are happening, maybe it's not apparent down at when you're not at altitude, but up here it does change. He was, he didn't even do anything. He said, you get that pony on the next truck and take it back down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good to know though. <laughs> it's like, okay. And we did, and he was totally fine. And he went on winning. We just had to rent a pony for Colorado. So wow. don't bring really old, old ponies to Colorado. <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Other than that, it's fantastic. So now, Jen, before we let you go, um, how can people kind of uh, tune in into Colorado? Is there a live stream or are there updates or how does that go?
4: Yeah, um, their website is Colorado Horse Park, so they'll be posting all the regular news from there. Um, we do kind of weekly wrap ups for the first three weeks, and then the two big weeks are their week five and six. They have a seventy five and one hundred thousand dollar Grand Prix events, and we'll be doing kind of daily press releases. So you can always um, read those uh, at the Colorado Horse Park website, and you know follow all the action from
1: there oh good cool so if you are you know there's a lot of decisions this season so you need to pick a circuit you go there and then you live stream and check in on all the others where your friends are possibly since we have so many options now well that's cool we'll check in thanks for giving us the update jen and we'll talk to you soon all right have a good bye thank you jennifer thank you lots of stuff going on oh my gosh So many circuits, And that's
0: good. I mean, we needed that. If, you know, if we want to be competitive in the world, we have to make sure that we have enough, uh, to enough venues here to build those horses up. And that's been an issue. They have a ton of venues in Europe. And yep. there's a, you know, and the competition's so stiff over there that I think that's partly why we're, we're doing better than we have in the past.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. They're really taking it seriously in the footing and the venues. I mean, there's, we well, we talked about it last time, the Split Rock Tour that was out there. People are going from Kentucky to that with FEI classes. It is, we're bringing it up and we need to, absolutely, like you're saying, to have depth in our team. So it's it's very exciting. And you guys support. Sign in to live stream. They see those numbers. Definitely, you can do your part boosting the sport. Very cool. Speaking
0: of up-and-comers who are going to be superstars one day, we got one up next.
1: I know we have one of our junior riders always on the circuit, Miss Samantha Perlman. She is the junior riding daughter of Kim Perlman, who is a trainer at Riverstone Farm. They've had that uh, for ages, ever since I was a kid. Really great people. We love Sammy. She is aging out. This is her last year as a junior, so we wanted to bring her on and talk to her about what that is like welcome to the show, Sammy. Good morning, morning. We we're not letting Sammy go to school on time. I just want everybody to know
0: <laughs> she <laughs>
1: she's she's waiting. She's she's doing her deed here on the radio. It's awesome. Hopefully, we don't get you in trouble. Oh, it's okay.
3: I don't have class until ten, so this is perfect. <laughs> and
1: you're graduating, anyways. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. It's only a couple weeks away. What are they going to do to you? Kick you out? <laughs> well i'm so glad you were able to take the time and get on air with us i thought this would be very appropriate i well i shared with sammy last episode we were talking about ihsa finals because i was there and kind of what that is like for these kids the differences but this is a little bit On the flip side, because Sammy is a competitive junior, always showing. I know it's weird for me when these kids go to college because we see them all the time. It's got to, I know it's weird for them. I've been there, but I thought it would be really fun to hear from her just sort of what her level of involvement is in the sport of show jumping, competing, daughter of a professional, and what this looks like for her. She is going to college. We're going to New Mexico State, right?
3: Yep, that's right. I leave in the beginning of August and then.
1: Yeah, far away. <laughs> ah, I know. That'll be fun, though. So back it up. I know you've been showing. You've been very competitive out there. Kudos. You ride great. It's fun to watch. Thank you. You So you're at Devon. you were at, uh, gosh, all kinds of shows. You went to Ocala for the winter. Tell us a little bit, kind of what your back. Back it up a little bit. Give us your background, <laughs> what you ride in, and kind of what your, your last show season looked like. How, how involved were you?
3: Um, so I've been riding with my parents for as long as I can remember, really. But in between all of that, my parents think it's good for me. They try to, like, get me to ride with some other professionals and stuff like that, just to hear a voice out of the family or a different voice. Um, I've had lessons with people like Harold Chopping, Mike and Tracy McCormick. Um, I've done catch riding for since I was on ponies for pony kids. And actually, I'm so small, I still have to ride ponies sometimes. I know, I was going to say, you can
1: still do that.
3: (laughs) And then really, um, last year, actually, when I was being recruited for teams and college and things like that, they really recommend that you have to step up in the big X. So that was when I started doing a lot more in the metal and all that. And with a few different horses I qualified, and I was at Metal McClay Finals this past year. Um, and actually, it's just, it comes to show, sure, like, as a professional kid, you have to get really used to basically riding sail horses, and just when they get sold, you kind of have to let it go and let the next one come to you, and that's probably the most difficult thing, but I think it's helped me learn.
0: Oops. I think, boy, we're having trouble with the uh, guests today, aren't we? I know. I that know was more than,
1: than a flicker. There.
0: Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Are you still there, Sammy? Oh, okay. hear... oh, you're back.
1: All right, Oh, it flickered, the, yeah, sorry about that. the service. All right, we hear you. So you're doing Ready? cats riding. The horses <laughs> come and go, which I hear you. That is hard.
3: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, um, Yeah, I had actually an incident at um, McClay Regionals this year, which the horse that I was going to go on um, had an abscess the day before and we had to scramble and another one that day but it all worked out I mean I qualified and I went and but that's just you kind of have to be prepared to do anything on the fly really
1: yeah um, which you know I mean, like you're saying then you yeah. get so many more rides though and then so much more exposure
3: it that's true and it's really helpful especially going into riding team in college because you're not riding any horses you know. It's all horses that are from the school or the school you're competing against, and it's all very random
1: yeah I mean, um, you're so. perfectly set up for it, having all that that experience. and I know I mean, your dad's a super trainer and you've been out there on the circuit. so you've been exposed also consistently to top sport jumping, rather in the junior ranks, watching the amateurs go, the professionals, it's all around you all the time. So I think you and then with the catch riding, I mean you're you're a perfect candidate to excel. Uh, tremendously in this NCAA or IHSA program. So now, tell me about this scouting. Or did you? How did you know that you're going to uh, accept and go to New Mexico?
3: Um, well, how it works is I believe it's the July first when your senior year of high school starts is when coaches are allowed to start contacting you. But prior to that point, you can totally bomb them with emails, videos, pictures, updates on results, which I really would recommend doing, like anybody who's thinking about doing NCAA in college. Um, It kind of gives you a head start, so you're more in the coach's mind. So generally, if they're interested in you, they'll call you, um, ask a little about you, and they'll usually offer an official visit. So that's when you'll fly to the school and spend a day and kind of do basically anything you would do at orientation. Like you'll get campus visits, um, housing, you'll meet the team, they'll give you kind of a rundown on the team and how it works. So New Mexico was actually the first visit I went on this year, and it was the only visit I went on because I decided that I was perfectly happy accepting going there. Once I was there, I just, I love the school. Um, It was way different than anything I've ever seen um, state-wise, just because I haven't really been on the West Coast at all. I mean, as you know, we kind of just travel up and down the East Coast during the year for horse shows. So seeing everything was different, But um, and I got along with the team really well. The coaches are super, and, yeah, it'll be fun going there next
0: year. What are you going to major in? What's what's your...
3: Um, Well, I feel like... as a college student, it's never really final until you're there. But my plan is to major in business, um, management, marketing, something of that sort. At the moment,
0: okay. And you know, it's funny that you said um, New Mexico yeah. because usually, you know, when you think of powerhouses and intercollegiate, you're thinking you're thinking Texas, you're thinking Georgia, you know, uh, New Jersey. Even you don't think New Mexico.
3: Yeah, Um. I will be honest, I didn't really either, and I was <laughs> really truth. focused on going to SEC like Georgia, South Carolina, and I heard that New Mexico had NCAA through one of my very good friends, um, Madison Brayman. Her parents are professionals in the business, too. Her dad, Matt, works at a lot of hits and other horse shows, but... She was a freshman there last year and we've grown up together and um, she actually kind of told me how much she liked it out there. So when I got the call, I kind of had like a good um, image of what the school was like through her. And so that actually kind of pushed the whole New Mexico thing. And what played a big part for me is so many of these schools that are so great, but their teams are huge. So when you're going to ride, especially as a freshman, I mean, you're not... Probably going to be showing unless you're there for a very good reason or maybe even riding that much. So, at New Mexico, where it's a smaller school with a smaller team, it was important for me that I know that even as a freshman, I'm going to have a chance to actually ride and participate on the team and maybe show and all that.
1: Yeah, wow, I didn't even think of that. I mean, it really is a huge change just sort of mentally, isn't it? From your experience in the show community, doing a circuit showing, I mean, all year, every year, that's been your gig. And then now for this, you know, sort of vying for a spot on the team and hoping (laughs) you get your chance in the ring. It's like, it's really incredible. But you're excited. It sounds like you're excited.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited. It'll be different too. I mean, because how we have it on circuits and stuff like that. I mean, showing is so much... uh, basically structured for the individual, like you're competing for yourself, for your horse or for whoever owns the horse. But on a team, it's yes, you it is important how you do individually, but that's affecting how the team is going to do and how the team will be together. But I think that's important because really in our world, I mean, your barn's your team, your staff's your team, getting your horse to the ring is a team. Um, we actually uh, we put a pretty big influence on this whole team thing at Riverstone. My mom is okay. very big on that.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it shows because it really I one hundred percent agree with you. I think that's what it should be about in life period. Every time I go to IHSA finals, a lot of times it's the same kids and I'm just like, why why aren't they laughing and and all like hooking arms and having that sort of team camaraderie at our shows, they should be because they, like you're saying, a barn, it should be like a riding club. Totally, totally. But I mean, that's, you know, you can lead by example, too. I think the more kids that have that that viewpoint that come from the A circuit and go into either NCAA or IHSA, they're singing the same tune. And hopefully it, it, it affects our community a little bit more, kind of boosts the morale on the team, the t- teammanship, really.
3: Yeah, I, I hope so. I think it would be, it would definitely benefit a lot of kids.
0: I think you invented a new word, Emily. Teamship. Yeah, I'm going to write that I thought that was good. Down.
1: I was like that's <laughs> probably not right. But the sentiment is there. You know <laughs> what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, it sounded great. We should keep that one. Right? If you're going to make one, I mean at least make it like, you know, so that people know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh boy. No, it really is the case though. I think that that's that's, a la- that's lacking in our community and it's so much fun to watch when you get out there out there in the IHSA or the NCAA, that's overwhelming. That's what you come away from, from those uh, competitions with. I love it. So you're you're leaving, Sammy. When did you say you're headed out?
3: Um, I think I have to be at school by August 16th, so I'll probably leave maybe the 14th or 15th and go get okay. settled, and my parents and I will all fly out there.
1: So, but this is your, this is your last junior year, right?
3: This is, it's, yeah, it's been last junior year. It's been crazy. Um, I've shown, I mean, mostly I've just had my junior hunter. I'm showing, I actually was with David Beisel through Ocala. I kind of helped work for him working student wise and things like that. And that was fun. Um, another different voice to be heard.
1: Yeah, that is so nice. That's that's a great thing to just have sort of a catalog of of voices and.
0: okay, I think, Emily, are you still there? What yeah, I, I, uh, I lost yeah, her. I kind of lost her too. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sammy. We'll see if we can get <laughs> Emily back here. She's having a little bit of connection issues up there in New York, so uh, they don't have the best internet up there. We appreciate you being on, and good luck at college. Uh, thank
4: you so much. All right, bye, we'll be Sammy. Watching. Thank you.
0: All right, take care.
4: Oh,
1: <laughs> bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> bye.
0: Well, your uh, your internet's hanging in there sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> all right.
1: We may be going Wi Fi hunting after yes.
0: all. Yes. You might be still be looking for a better place uh, come come uh, next month. We'll hey, find I've out. I've got a
1: few weeks. We'll, we'll get hunting.
0: All right. Good. Well, you're back, and we need to talk a little bit about S Equestrian. What's going on there with S?
1: Oh, yeah. Keeping me busy as usual. This is the much anticipated release of the hunter jacket, the classic jacket. It is officially in. It has washable shoulder pads, which are fixed inside the jacket. So it oh, wow. is most definitely square. That is the big gripe in the synthetic hunter jacket wearing community. They want square. They want long, you know, more what, what we're used to seeing, you know, in the, in the wool hunt coats, which is so hard to do. And the synthetics, you know, the fabric just doesn't lay the same way. It's very hard. The sewing room has a nightmare trying to get it to look crisp and the seams straight and all this. But it, eh, it has been like a year and a half in the making. Patricia Griffith helped us design it. It's beautiful. All the same fabric as the sport jacket, machine washable with buttons, not snaps. So you can thread your number strength through. It's very important for the hunter gals. We have... Probably below the hip. I would say about two inches below the hip, which is really what the big discussions are on. All the judges are talking. It's the length. You know, you can kind of get away with a little, a little bling, maybe. That's what's important. So it is about to be out there. We'll be posting photos. A few tax stores will be carrying, just a few, because we've got a small limited quantity. But if anybody's interested, you can Facebook. S Equestrian or S Equestrian for IHSA, let us know and we will get you on.
0: Very good. And I know that uh, Jamie, normal co host here on the morning show, has hers and she really likes her jacket.
1: Yeah, she has the sport one. She looks so cute. She does. All in her S jacket and everything. Yeah. No, she's a great fit model. So she she was happy with hers. We'll see how hard it wears. That's what I like to check in with people after like six months. They're yeah, like, she's an eventer, the-
0: so she's gonna be taking it and using it a little yeah, harder, exactly. I think.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I had in mind. I want to hear about it.
0: You know, eventers are not like hunter girls. Uh when they take their clothes <laughs> off, they throw it in a heap. Uh yeah. so you know, it's like oh dressage is done. Thank God. And they just throw it on the ground. That's so so uh and then they, they pick it up to- again in time for jumping, uh for show jumping. In the meantime, they don't worry about it they trample all over it so we'll see if it holds up
1: yeah well that was that's what I, my plan is i mean i'm <laughs> the same way i'm like i mean maybe i should have been an inventor, but I, i'm the same way i like throw my jacket in my tack trunk when i'm done you know because i have to go bathe my horse it's like whatever this is like sports gear <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> so, now, now also you want to talk a little bit about a certain boot tell yes. us about that
1: very exciting. This is a new product to the market, not a new company. Um, this is sort of our new product pick here. One of our sponsors is Stivali Fabri. Those of you that are familiar with the Fabri boots, they've been on the market for a little while now, a couple of years in the States. It's an Italian company, been manufacturing since 1924. I say manufacturing, but they are making by hand. They do handmade custom boots. They're absolutely beautiful. The price point is really quite reasonable. The fully Custom, you can go on their website. It's divalifabri.it and see what all the different cuts are. But for your fully Custom, they are $1,400 to $1,900, which, okay, it's still custom. It's expensive. But comparatively speaking, is reasonable. But what's very exciting, which sort of our new product pick is about, is about their new stock boots. They have the Fabri stock boot you can buy at the Fabri booth. They will be at Hits, Tryon, Kentucky, and Lake Placid. They retail at one thousand dollars, which is pretty reasonable. They have a stretch panel leather which makes it have a custom fit. I actually have these boots and I admit I am not good to them. I bathe my horses in them. I ride in them all the time. I try to keep them polished, but not always. And they have really held up. I'm a professional. I ride lots of horses every day and I've had them for I think about nine months now. I'm really impressed. The craftsmanship is fantastic. And again, they're handmade. So you're going to get with the stock boot at $1,000, you're going to get that handmade look that's tight, that's firm, that will last. The quality is great. And what's really fun is because the leather is just a little bit thinner. It's very durable, okay, like I've said, but it's thin enough that you can actually roll the boot up. You'll see on their website, if you go on the the Stevali Fabri website, They roll it up. You can put it in your bag. You can just crumple it up, sort of like my jacket. You can do the same thing to the jacket and the boots and still look sharp the next day. Case closed. You
0: know, I think they do a dressage boot, too, if I remember right. Um, They do. Yep. And aren't they the ones that make the striped boots that have the colorful stripes across them?
1: Yeah, totally. Totally and they're really they are they're fully custom if you get online stivalifabri.it and you can pick one of those styles I think there's five or six that are like that either the the line with the different colors you can put your country's very flag very Italian looking very yes yeah. <laughs> they, it is super which it's probably like their most understated Italian company you know
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, wow, it's a bit flashy. Yeah, <laughs> But the stock boot is not. I mean, the stock boot is beautiful. You can ride in the Hunters. It has a square toe and elastic lace. They're very, very nice. You, and you can get them online, like we said. They have an Instagram at Fabri Boots. That's F-A-B-B-R-I Boots. And there's also a free app, Stivali Fabri. Oh, really? If you want to download. Yeah, they're super high tech. Huh. What? I know. I'm
0: feeling like what boot company has an app?
1: I know. It's <laughs> like gosh, I need an app. Jeez, everybody's got one.
0: Yeah, well, very cool. I was just looking at their boots online, and I I kind of thought I remembered that they did a dressage boot too. Um, because they're sharp looking. Yeah, they really are. They and really and are. the
1: durability is there. They really are. It's a it's super super quality and craftsmanship, and they're handmade. You know, it really you can't get around that. It's um they're very consistent. Very good.
0: Thank you for that. And we are heading off to go do some horse shopping now, aren't we?
1: Oh, yeah. We have our next, next guest, Rick McGrath, who we're so appreciative. He took the time out to talk with us. He is actually loaded up truck and trailer driving to Upperville. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you doing? We're good. I'm so glad we were able to, to make this happen I, on the fly a little bit. I know you're shipping, so I'm glad we got good service.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do. You know, it's raining out pretty bad, but uh, the phone service is coming through, and we're doing okay.
1: Perfect. So I, Rick is a got a busy, busy business, com. You can check him out online. That's wynn com. Rick and his wife have a great business. We see each other in Florida and New York, and it hits all over. Rick and Cindy are actually, we share custody of my two house cats. So we're all very (laughs) close. (laughs) But I thought this was going to be great. I ran into Rick uh, down in Wellington. I thought, we've got to get you on the radio because Rick, he's got tons of knowledge, tons of expertise. But you know, something that he does very well. He goes to Europe and he shops. He shops for the American market. He brings horses home and he sells them. I, every season I see a new fleet of horses. So you're obviously very good at it. So I thought, hey, you could walk us through really what does that business model look like?
2: Uh, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, the first thing I really want to put out to everyone, I'm, it's a risky sport. Risky, <laughs> you know, riding the horses and risky money wise. All I'm trying to do with myself and my partner and some of my connections in Europe is try to lower that risk. I mean, uh, it's doing your homework. That's what it's all about. So, you know, I hop on a flight, maybe four or five times a year, go over for two or three days, and uh, scout the con- you know the countryside, whether it's Belgium, Holland, or uh, or Germany. I have, like I say, my my partner and a few agents there. They've been looking for three weeks or a month before I get there. So they've been to the shows. They know the good ones, the bad ones. And then we test them out for two or three days in different situations before I even consider um, handing over the money and making a purchase.
1: Wow. I didn't realize that. So so you have a scout. They're looking. They're pulling together sort of the the best... The, the best candidates for what they know that you'll be looking for and then you go try multiple times you sit on each horse multiple times
2: yeah i'll i mean i'll see him at the show in a show situation i'll see him at their farm sometimes i have to make a move at that point or other times we'll try to bring them back to my partner's farm in holland and uh and then we get a few more days there or i'll leave them there a few days and, and i get a yes or no from my partner but But yeah, there's a lot of background that's getting done. It's very rare. It's the first time I've seen the horse bat on it and hand the money over. It's it's just, that's just a lot of risk involved to make that. Yeah.
1: And that's why you're successful, you know, because you're, yeah, you're covering all the bases. So now you, you go over a couple times a year. Do you bring horses back each time? Would you say? You know what?
2: I, I pretty much, maybe one or two times I haven't, I've sort of stuck out, but, um, but I'll go over and I'll bring anything back from two to five horses at a time. Um, it depends. I'll go over looking for hunters or exploitation, and and they're very difficult to find. And then, you know, the young jumpers, you can always find a few of those if the price is right. So, yeah, it's very rare I don't come back with anything. But I want it in my mind that when I go over, if it's not right, I just don't buy.
1: Yeah, no desperation.
2: Exactly. They know when you're
1: desperate. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work well for anybody at any time, really, no. in anything. No. no. So now when you go over before your trip, are you sort of brainstorming about the types that you're looking for? I heard you say you're either looking for hunters, jumpers, or equitation horses. Do you have orders? Are you shopping for people? I know a lot of times you're bringing horses back You know, at your risk. You're, you're bringing back, but kind of what are the, the different situations?
2: Yeah, you know what? There are a lot of different situations, and I do make a phone call ahead of time over just to say, listen, I'm I need a couple good young hunters, or I need a good amateur hunter. You know, take the two or three weeks before I get there, and and find me a few that are, are worthy of trying. So each situation's different, but a lot of times I do. In fact, in my mind, I have standing orders of anywhere from three to five horses that are just difficult to find in the price range that the people want and the size and, and everything else. Um, and then, I, you know, a lot of times when I'm over there, I'll see something that just looks special. It's a special hunter or it's a special jumper that I've just got to have it. And so those...
1: Impulse purchase.
2: And uh, those come up more more often than not. Yeah, an impulse purchase.
1: Um, <laughs> I know that one. It's year. the candy bar at the just, checkout counter. Yeah, and, gotta have yeah. that one <laughs> A big candy bar. yeah that's yeah. gonna be it and that's where the gamble comes in <laughs>
2: yeah exactly exactly but you know again we're just trying to, to lower the risk increase our odds of making a making the right move and uh bringing it in and taking a month or two and making sure it's right uh, it's very rare they come in in the first week i let them go out to get sold, you know to get sold i I really want to make sure there's no kinks in the armor. And if there are, it's something I can work through and, and take care of it.
0: Now, i got a question for you. When, you. when you get somebody that comes to you that's new to getting a horse from Europe, what advice do you give them?
2: Uh, when they're coming to me and that's a horse that's in this country, I really would like them to take their time and try it several times, maybe even try it at the show with me. Um, and then I want to cover the basis of their background and, you know, what their ability is, what their goals are to make sure we're, we're meeting the criteria of the horse that they're, they're sitting on. If they don't want to go to the Olympics, you don't give them an Olympic course, or if, if they don't want to jump over three foot six, then they just need a three foot horse that takes care of them. And I'm sure their husband or their wife is, uh, happy to hear that also.
0: And when, when you have uh, people coming to you for horses, what, what's the one thing that, uh, that sticks out that they're always looking for? Are they always looking for size? Are they always looking for color? What's the thing that's most prominent that maybe should be the thing they're not really looking for? Uh, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what. What they should be looking for, first off, is just a good brain, a good demeanor, a kind horse not looking to be aggressive in any way, always looking to take care of you when you're on their back. If they're frightened, they're not jumping on you. They show the fright, and you can settle them down from that. So that's what everyone should be looking for. That's what I feel the American market is. Uh, more often than not, they are looking for a certain size. A lot of people, smaller people will say they want a big horse, or bigger people will say they want a you know, a, a small horse, and I try to fit size, color. I don't get many people that ask for color. It's very strange because you would you would expect that, but no, it's more more the size that they want to match up, and they don't realize a tall horse that's slender you can get away with it on, on a, a a medium-sized person, but a uh, but a tall horse that's big and wide really needs a big person. So it it's just matching the size.
0: Gotcha. And then, uh, so now, what? do you ever have people contact you that want you to go with them to Europe shopping?
2: Uh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely been done. And it's always a interesting situation when they've never been to Europe, because really, I get off the plane and I hit the ground running. I rent a car and off we go. And I'll meet, like I say, I'll meet agents or my partner at a certain location and we'll go from place to place. So that the biggest thing that people have to be aware of is you have limited time to look at as many possibilities as you can. This is it's not, not vacation. Like car not, not sightseeing. Here. Not a vacation. <laughs> this no is not vacation. a tourist
1: attraction. <laughs> yes, <right.
2: laughs> no time for water skiing. And then it's a long day. <laughs> but at the end of the day, having dinner and sitting down and talking about the day and the different horses and the different locations and laughing about some of the crazy things that happen, that's the best part of the day.
1: That's so much fun. So people could, in theory, contact you through your website and request a shopping trip since you're so experienced.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's fun. It's exciting. And hopefully they find the
0: right one. Do you recommend that somebody go over to Europe? I, I think I know your answer. Uh, you would probably recommend that somebody not go over to Europe and shop by themselves if they've never done it before.
2: You know what? I People do that. And I can't say... Do not go over and do that. But what I would say is take the time. Contact someone in the, in the U.S. that they know and respect. That we're getting in touch with the right people in Europe. Everyone needs a connection. And absolutely, it may cost a few more dollars. But in the long run, you're just going to be better off making the right connections. So when you meet people in Holland or over uh, over in Europe anywhere... They know a friend of a friend, and it's all, you know, good business.
1: So now how does this look, Rick, for people who have never shopped in Europe, maybe are thinking about it, hey, maybe they're going to come shop with you. But how do, what does that look like if, okay, they go over there, they find the perfect horse through the right contact, everybody feels great about it, okay, we know it depends on the sex of the animal, the gender, whether it's mayor, stallion, things like this for quarantine. But walk them through, what does that look like if they decide to pre-purchase? I mean, obviously, their veterinarian is not in Europe. They're probably in the States.
2: Well, it's, it's not a difficult process. Everyone thinks it's very difficult. But you do have the pre-purchase done in Holland. You decide you want the horse, get it. they ship it right to the veterinarian. X-rays and, and all the clinicals are done. As long as everything looks positive, the x-rays are then shipped to your vet here in the States, and, and uh, your vet may request more x-rays, um, and they look at that. So once the vetting's done and everything's okay by the vet here in the States, then you go ahead and make the move to purchase. Um, very simple purchase. I charge a 10% commission when you go to Europe to buy a horse that's tacked on top. Um, The money is wired in, and the horse goes into quarantine there in Europe, wherever it is, uh, whether it's Belgium, most go out of Amsterdam. So the horse, once the money's in in the accounts and transferred properly and the paperwork on the sale is done, the horse is transported to Amsterdam. I have all contacts for that. Um, I have an agency that takes care of the, the importing into Newburgh or into Miami. The horse gets flown over. to a six to eight hour trip, and a gelding will stay three days uh, in quarantine, and a stallion could be up to a month, um, and then the mare is two to three weeks. So there's different time frames, but the whole system is set up to be simple. But again, uh, the veterinarian is to lower your risk, make sure it's you know it's a comfortable purchase.
1: So now talk to me about this vetting you know, people who they get excited. Maybe they're going to shop over there a little bit. Uh, hey, if, if all things work out, maybe there's a few different options, a few candidates. But what is sort of the etiquette, vetting etiquette when you're over there, you're looking for horses, you don't pick your top three and vet all three? No, I, I mean, uh,
2: when you're over there to vet, uh, for me, I have a veterinarian that I use. Uh, the horses get shipped right to the vet there, and then the X-rays get shipped right out to uh, right out to me um, or to my vet here. When you're shopping individual, it gets more more difficult. Um, they can people shopping there tend to use the vet of the buyer. Um, that's the only way to recommend it. Uh, again, they need an agent or someone they're comfortable with that can steer them to a comfortable veterinarian that understands. Horses coming into the states, we have a higher criteria, especially on the X-rays, than a lot of the a lot of the vets in Holland. Um, right. So for sure. So an agent will point you to the best vet that they feel comfortable with.
1: And now a vetting, I mean, that's sort of a verbal a verbal commitment to buy if the vetting is clear. Would you say? Yeah, that's
2: correct. When you when you have them vetted. Uh, it's a verbal commitment. You're making the move uh, to ship them off and, and get something done. No no money changes hands. It's between those two individuals on who pays for the vetting also. Uh, at times, I'll say, listen, you're telling me the horse vets. Fair enough. If it's that's clean, I pay for it, and I buy the horse. If there's something in there I do not like that was there previous, you pay for the vetting because it's not disclosed. For me, that, that's a, an easy alternative to buying horses with bad x-rays. But again, that's up to each individual. I've done it enough that, that I'm comfortable making them pay for it if 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 I feel that it wasn't disclosed, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Well, that's good. You really explained it. Great. For those of you tuning in, maybe thinking about shopping in Europe, These are great people. Absolutely check them out. Wynwoodfarm.com, W-Y-N-N, woodfarm.com. Rick McGrath, thank you so much for parking on the side of the road and taking the time out to talk to us. Great. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Lots of fun. Well, good luck. Good luck at the horse show. And I guess we'll see you up here at HITS, huh? Pretty soon? Yeah. Next few weeks. Awesome. All right. Good luck, Rick. uh, Rick. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Take
0: care. Yeah, you could hear the rain pouring down inside <laughs> his truck.
1: <laughs> I know. I was texting with him yesterday. I was like, all right, we're all good. I, I mean, I think it's an exciting segment. It it would be, it's very educational, and he's all into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to be uh, shipping the horses to Upper though, so I'll just pull over on the side of the road. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. I mean, everybody works so hard. You know, you want authentic people on, you're going to catch them shipping horses, and Parking on the side of the road, that's what happens.
0: Well, there's nobody more authentic than our next guest.
1: Oh, yeah. Very excited about this. We have none other than Jimmy Fairclaw, top rider, trainer, dealer, shopper. Always got great horses for sale. uh, Riding in the Young Jumpers most recently. Really tearing it up out there. He is bringing us our training horse show tip. Welcome to the show, Jimmy.
5: Hi. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Yay. So glad this worked (laughs) out.
5: Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it.
1: Jimmy's another hard worker. We're up here at HITS. I mean, you're probably—are you riding, or it's kind of raining and cold? What's going on?
5: No, I actually lucked out. I was uh, in and out of Saugerties already. I, I uh, split between Devon and Saugerties last week and uh, finished up on Sunday and got out of there as fast as I possibly could when I saw the rain and the, oh. what was coming in the forecast. And now, the Jimmy,
1: I,
0: I got to ask you, we talked about Devin before Devon started and t- explained to everybody what Devin was and, you know, the history behind it and everything. How did it go?
5: It was fantastic. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better horse show. It is unbelievably well run. The footing is amazing. The atmosphere is amazing. The horse show all around is top-notch, and you couldn't ask anything better from your – Course designers, your show managers, your uh, even even the, the course uh, you know courses they put up, the jumps they have, the uh, the jump crew, everything is top notch, and uh, I, I, you can't ask for anything better, especially for young horses and getting them exposed to that kind of atmosphere. Uh, we really never have a chance in the states to expose young horses to that kind of atmosphere of the stadium and the crowds and, and uh, all the distractions. But we normally don't have a young horse ring here in the States and it is fantastic. All right, besides uh, what other I, I show can you go better?
0: to and get fair food and you know, the, the Ferris the, wheel, you know, you the Ferris wheel. Right. Exactly. Uh, funnel
1: cake and the Ferris wheel. That's why we're there. You got funnel cake, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, basically,
0: exactly. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. We were it's talking about It's the uh, rite of passage. You always have to get, you always have to get the, uh, Uh, your cotton candy and your your fair food in before you show.
1: That's right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But don't get sick. Not too much folks. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about uh, earlier in the show, Spruce Meadows and the incredible crowds and uh, just how exciting that is for both for the uh, spectators and for the exhibitors. But, uh, but Devin, okay. It's a smaller, smaller scale and arena and everything, but it's totally on par with that. I mean, those stands are packed.
5: I would totally agree with you. And, And I would say, that there is no better atmosphere in the States. I mean, you have Wellington, you have your big stadium, but nothing gives you the old time feel of a real horse show, real County fair, what it was like in, in its roots. And starting from, you know, what we did for show jumping. I mean, show jumping isn't the oldest sport in the world. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, only within the first hundred years of the sport really coming into what we know it as it is now, uh, and it's, it's quite interesting to still have the same exact ring, the same stand, the same stabling, same, everything that they had going back to the fifties. And I'm, I could be wrong in saying it's even earlier than that.
1: Yeah, no, totally. It's, uh, it really is. It's an experience being back there in those barns and because the level of competition is so high and so stiff. I mean, these are qualifications. These are the top horses and riders in the country, but it also has that, like, yeah, it's, like, very traditional and very, I mean, you the, the blue and white steeple and all the, the stands, the grandstands, I mean, those are in pictures since, like, you know, the beginning of show jumping top sport history, it feels like. Everybody's got a picture like that, everyone who's been showing – you know, at the top of the, the sport here in the States. And it's, it's fun. It's really exciting to see that it stayed on and continued to be as incredible as it always was.
5: Absolutely. And it's great to see that Peter Doubleday and everybody in the whole team there really keeps everything running and, and really tries to keep the, 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 the horse show ever improving. I mean, some horse shows remain stagnant and will always kind of fall behind as they are the older ones in tradition. But, uh, They've kept up with the times, especially with their footing. I could not say anything better about their footing. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that is awesome. Now they just redid that, right?
5: Correct. I, I believe it was three, four years ago now, and and uh, they've done an amazing job maintaining it. And I don't know what they've put in the footing, but uh, young horses jump unbelievably well there. I mean, better than oh. they do anywhere else for the rest of the country. So.
1: That's nice. awesome. That's really cool. But, well, hey, you want him to jump well somewhere. Why not Devin? <laughs> Jeez. Exactly. Those are some going to be some iconic photos. <laughs> the grandstands. Yeah. I love it. Well, we're, we're Everybody digressing. Everybody
5: has we're, have a Devin photo for the mantle.
1: Well, it's so true, though, right? I mean, don't you really, like, you, you notice it. Like, it's like a status symbol. You're like, oh, you know, they're jumping around Devin. And you just notice it right away. <laughs> Everybody does. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. Okay, so we're, we're talking about all kinds of stuff, which is why I wanted Jimmy on the radio, period, because I feel like we can talk about lots of things. But really, the point of our segment is that we are going to get a much-needed training tip, horse show tip, from Jimmy Fairclaw. So what do you have for us?
5: Well, one thing I wanted to bring to the table with you guys is that um, I've had a rare opportunity to be able to ride with many different riders in very different schools of thought. Uh, I rode through in Europe, I rode in the States, I rode with Frank Chapo, Candace King, you know, Ludger Bierbaum and, 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 you know, those people at Stahl Hendricks, the Neil Hendrix. And the schools of thought have been, I mean, unbelievably vast in the differences. And it's amazing how many different ways there are to skin a cat. But, you know, while training young horses here in the States, it's one thing I've noticed is that we always have a tough time battling is, Bringing horses over from Europe and quote unquote Americanizing them. And I find that the toughest thing in terms of Americanizing them or making them a little easier for us to ride. Not all of us are, you know, six foot three tall European guys with hands of iron and can hold a horse with a loose ring snaffle and jump a meter sixty.
1: not yeah, I.
5: I believe that.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah, Emily's about and as far that- away
0: from that as you can get, uh, Jimmy. So. When I go
1: shopping over <laughs> there, right. it's ridiculous. I'm like rolling the irons like two and three times. <laughs> it's outrageous. But anyways, you're right. Yes. <laughs>
5: no, no, exactly. And, and and they always say, oh, we put the strong bid on for you. Oh, really? Well, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate that. The weak American. There's one thing that... I-
4: <laughs> exactly,
5: and one thing that I I learned from a great horseman, Frank Chapo, is is developing a natural eye for the horses. Now, by natural eye, I mean that the horse is judging the distances on their own. And I never truly understood it or really respected it until I worked with Frank hand in hand on developing his young horses. I came straight from the school of thought where in Europe you. You force a horse into this frame, you know, the, the frame in the picture that looks beautiful. But beneath that facade, it is an absolute freight train, almost a nightmare, if you will, of, of battling between leg and hand and, and forcing the horse's stride at all times to be always calculated, always forced, and always to a distance that, that the rider dictates. And when I started riding for Frank, he, he said, no rider can be perfect. You can find every distance, every time, and be spot on every time. The horse has to help you. So when we were working with young horse development, he always drilled in that we have to develop the natural eye. Now that means when you're with the young horse, he said your job is simply to get the horse to the fence. Get the horse to the fence and let them get over it. Long, short, or indifferent, let them jump the fence and let them leave it up. If you're always telling them where to jump from, where the distance is going to be, How are they going to help you when you're in the Grand Prix ring in Hocken or Hickstead and you have a little bit of a hand gallop and you find a long one to a triple bar, you know, can you, can you uh, trust them to help you out to cover that gap or maybe even a deep one, you know, going to a vertical off a tight rollback and the jump off of the Olympics. Uh, You you never know when, when, when it's going to come
1: in to help you. When you don't want it to happen is when it happens. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) i found the flyer again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's exactly right, and you know. With
5: that said, you can look back at videos of Frank and and uh, Steinkraus and those guys. You don't always find the perfect distances, and there's no way a rider can find every single distance on course for you know for eternity. And the horse has to be able to help you. And one thing I, I respected so much about this is natural horsemanship and just developing that horse's natural eye. I I'm, I can remember going. On course, after riding the horses in Europe and how they were produced and everything's going to an added stride or everything's manufactured, you would, be Frank, you would go in there and you would allow the horse to canter down it's a fences. And it wasn't even fair. I mean, you would get into some of these young horse divisions here in the States and it wasn't even fair because, you know, if you get in the jump off, there's no way anybody could keep up with those horses. No way, because you can trust, you can turn out of the corner, you can kick, you can add, you can do whatever, and they will leave that fence up because they naturally respect that that fence on their own. You're not dictating that that distance every single time.
1: Wow, that's a really, I mean, okay, um, going in time, Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but really distances themselves, the the act of manufacturing those distances globally was really not that long ago that we switched over. I think it was like the 70s or something, 60s maybe?
5: Yes, actually, uh, my grandfather was one of the the innovators in in, in, uh, measured distances, uh, Dr. Rost. And uh, you're you're 100% right that this is not a very long time ago that we started these measured distances.
1: And that was the big argument was, okay, maybe if you're looking at the smoothness, if you want to style class a little bit, you can say that it's a bit more consistent, maybe if the rider's manufacturing the distance. But if I remember correctly, the big argument was that the actual suppleness of the animal deteriorates.
5: Absolutely. And it's pretty funny and interesting to look back at the Olympic videos from yesteryear with the... George Morris, or like I said, Steinkraus, or Mary Mares, or Frank Chapeau. And it's interesting to see how how few related distances there were and how much they relied on the horses to to help judge those distances on those long approaches and those giant houses of a a fence that they had to jump. Uh, It's it's quite interesting to see how the sport has progressed and and bringing that old-school thought of, of trying to have a horse develop a natural eye and bring it into the modern day show jumping where you have crazy set lines i mean you oh, the you, you technicality and, yeah, and of it's, incredible. You, it's, it's unbelievable and and the margin for error is so small these days and and it's it's interesting to see how things have developed um and, and one person i can always point to in showing a horse's natural eye is is Laura Chapo Frank's daughter and you watch her ride and there is, I have to, I, I can argue with anybody all day long. I've never seen a rider want to win every class as much as she does. And she comes out and you, you watch her horse and you say, oh, how do I beat that? How do I beat that? When she can come out of the corner and gallop, when I have my, my strong, uh, Dutch warm blood and I have to manufacture out of the corner and do one more step than she does. It's, it's not possible to compete with that.
1: It's not possible. You just hope she has one <laughs> down. It's not possible.
5: Exactly. That's the best you can hope for.
1: Yeah, but that's so interesting because okay, I've watched uh Laura show my whole life. I'm we're from sort of the same area and I mean that oh gosh, she goes so fast. It's like crazy, crazy fast with total disregard at times for the stride and the distance and now it makes sense because there is total disregard <laughs> for the distance and the stride. Exactly.
5: But what, damn, they leave the jumps exactly up it?
1: all the time. <laughs>
5: all the time, and you kind of go, how, like I say, when you ride one of their horses, you say, this isn't fair when you go in the ring, and to have a nice blend of training from that, that mentality of letting a horse develop that natural scope, that natural feeling, that natural judge of the distance, if you're a good and talented rider, you can come out of the corners, and and you can gallop to those long ones, and and believe in your horse more than, you know, I, I personally can for the ones I purchased from Europe, I mean, I do not trust them nearly as much as I, I, I could if I, I just had a little more uh, belief in, in their own natural ability to back up off the fences.
1: That they're like partners, totally, yeah. No, and, and that's the gig. When you roll one down in the ring, like you ask and you don't receive. You ask them exactly. to back up and they blow through you for half a second too long and bam, comes the front rail. So it's like, you think like, gosh, I need to make them thinkers and partners. So So walk us through that. How okay, maybe this, uh, you're already showing and you've got a track record of doing it the manufactured way. How does somebody uh, sort of kindly to the animal start switching it up on them and asking them to be a partner?
5: Well, that, that's a good question because it's a very, very fine line between doing too little and too much. And one thing that Frank always had me do and one thing that I love doing is that you find a distance with a horse and you don't, you don't want to lie to it. You don't want to, uh, you know cool it in any way, you get to the distance and you soften at the base. One thing I really drill on all of my students is self-carriage and letting the horse soften and carry themselves to the base. Even if you know you're going to have a rail at home, you soften to the base, you allow them to get there, and you, you show them deep distances, you show them long distances, and you try to gradually build from the manufactured frame, the manufactured uh, distance, and then try to build from there. You know, like I say, three strides out, I will have my distance. And then for a young one, say a five-year-old that likes to punch out the front rail, three strides away, I will totally abandon it and let it get there. Nothing big, nothing square, nothing scary. Let them get there. Let them judge that. As they start to develop, and you know, not every horse is naturally that careful enough. But <laughs> as they start to develop that that respect for the rail and saying, "Oh, whoa, 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 wait here. He's not going to help me for that distance. I need to start to help myself." It's it's a very fine progression. It takes some time to develop the feeling. And and I'm not saying that you need to trap them or you need to set up the lines and and, uh, gauging the different distances in in a line. I feel it can be done simply on a single fence in itself. And, you know, usually I use a little bit more bit than, than what is necessary. And I will take a nice half halt when I'm going to the fence. I have found my distance. And then I start to soften on the horses. Um, you know, I I will occasionally start to press if the distance is a little deep and I will challenge them to help themselves out even more. Or if the distance is a little long, I will take my leg off and have them naturally cover that that ground instead of doing, you know, what your instincts are. When it's a little bit long, you know, close your leg when it's a little bit short. You kind of take your leg off a little bit there. Um, I, I, I just try to test them in every single way and try to give them almost kind of an amateur style ride where you you just do not support them as much as they have been
3: and
1: so i mean you ride great Jenny. i mean you really ride great so this is you're, you see where you are you know way back in the corner so you're although it's a manufactured unmanufacturing is what you're doing but what about exactly. for somebody who doesn't know where they are they need and but they they like this this idea okay they've hopefully got a good trainer and a ground person. So this is something you want to do maybe in a lesson scenario. How, like how would they start with a line or, or so that they could kind of count and gauge or how would you start?
5: Well, I would also say that the takeoff and landing poles would be a huge aid. Uh, okay. you know, when you watch somebody like, so Ann Krasinski with the soft feeling, always out of the tack, never, never forcing a horse to do a certain way and always having a self carriage. You know, watching someone like that, watch their position, always carrying a neutral seat. You get into, you give yourself a a takeoff rail and a landing rail. You try to find a little bit of a neutral seat, not a driving seat, not a full-on two-point, but you get yourself out of the task. Let, Let the rail dictate where the horse needs to take off, and then... You know, give them a little bit of support. Also, you know, challenge them a little bit. Instead of doing 10 feet, do 12 feet, or, you know, 10 feet, go to 9 feet for the takeoff rail. You know, vary drastically between the distances with 3 to 4 feet in in, in the difference. If you can't find the distance or if you don't trust yourself, then help yourself to take off or landing pole where the horse has to pay attention. Um, I mean, you would really have to have a good ground person to help you gauge when the time is right, whether you shorten up the landing rail or, you, you know you lengthen the takeoff rail. Um it's a very big thing, you know, having a great crown person and helping you with that.
1: Oh, it's um, crucial. I uh, love the rails. That's smart. Yeah. Because then that's the thing is, okay, we always want to grow and get better as riders, but it's a partnership. You have to think about your horse, you know, how can you help them? He didn't get the memo, you know, that we all had the conversation and today we're going to start underriding and you're going to start finding your own distances. So you have to sort of explain it to them kindly through your exercise. And uh, I mean, you're, that's, that's brilliant. The, The poles, the line.
5: Oh, absolutely. And I I don't ever believe that it it needs to be too much. I don't believe that you have to do five bounces in a row or, or, you know, six, one strides or anything insane. I I truly believe in in, in the development that I had in the time that I had with Frank as as short as it was, we never did. And I say never, we never did anything too, too extravagant or too detailed. It was very basic and it was very natural with the horses and always, Always about the feeling and judging the horse's mind and, and allowing them to figure themselves out. Uh, it, it was it's a very very fine line that you have to walk, and I, I really feel that you you battle you know nature versus nurture when when trying to get a horse from Europe and develop developing them into you know a little bit of a natural eye. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I believe the easiest thing in the world is is to have one from the beginning and teaching them from the time you first get on them at three years old uh, to, you know, to the young horse development years in allowing them to develop that natural eye. And I, I can't say enough about that with, with uh, Frank and the horses that he's developed. I mean, I don't need to say anything other than the, the, the two, uh, two words, Jim twist. Um, yep. You know, that that's a horse that proves that you with a natural eye, they can do anything with three different riders he was horse of the year totally, and, uh, you know, went to the Olympics and won the countless Grand Prixs and probably the best show jumper horse that we've ever produced here in the States.
1: It's um, true. Well, yeah. this is sort of the dawn in- of the American breeding movement. I, I mean, my Facebook feed is filled with people who are breeding even one and single horses. Yeah. So this is the chance people are going to have to start yeah. really thinking about our program in this country and how we get to mm-hmm. where we want to get literally from like halter broke.
5: Exactly. And, and, uh, it'd be interesting to see how, how we start developing horses. I, I, totally. I don't get me wrong. I credit the Europeans and everything they do. They, they can produce amazing results, but yeah. the style of riding that we have here is, not conducive to what they do. I mean, they, it's illegal for yep. them to do anything more than a loose ring snaffle after at five years old. And it, it, there are theories and there are ideas of how to develop a horse, and the way they jump are a little bit different than what we have here in the states. It would be very interesting over the next coming years to see what the young horses we produce, uh, you know, can can you know, bring to the Grand Prix ring.
1: Absolutely. Well, you guys check it out. As you can hear, this is why we wanted Jimmy on air. He is extremely knowledgeable, got great insight, ridden with tons of different riders and and programs around the world and country. You guys can check him out online. He does training and riding, but also sales. So if you're looking for something that's already been Americanized, you can check him out at stonehorsefarmct.com. All uploaded. You keep up with that, huh? Your website, Jimmy?
5: Yes, I, I try my best. And, uh, it looks good. A uh,
1: little bit of computer coding <laughs> class on the
5: side. I try to keep up with that. so uh, It yeah. shows.
1: I was like, hey, now, yeah. Jimmy's website is the real deal. It's awesome. Very cool. Thank well, thank you, you right. so much for talking with us. We're going to get you on another episode.
5: I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity to come online.
1: Thanks, All so. right, good luck at your next show. Later.
0: Well, there, boy, it went fast this morning. Emily, you had a jam packed as usual. (gasps)
1: As usual. And that the was a sound good
0: actually held up in the last half hour here, so that was good. I think we were just having a problem with cell phones there for a minute.
1: I know it's hard, right? Cuz yeah. everyone's on cell phones, but I don't know. I'll do a little Wi-Fi hunting. I'm now not you're,
0: now the last <laughs> half of the show here you've been fine, so I don't know. Who knows? Who uh, knows? Yeah. Keeps it interesting. It's which kid next door was playing video games and uh, Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. It's that's exactly
0: what it was. <laughs> so tell your husband to stay off the video games while we're doing the I show, know, right? okay? All right. We're doing
1: important stuff that's here. That's
0: right. <laughs> off the video video games. Well, that's it for this week. If you want to catch Emily's past shows that she's done here in the jumping episode, you just go to horsesinthemorning.com and search for, search, just search for S-E-C-E, and it'll bring up all the past episodes, be the easiest way to do that. And where can people find your products at S-Equestrian?
1: Oh boy, a couple different places, S-Equestrian.com, that's E-C-E, Equestrian. But really, our best updated, most current styles are on Facebook, S Equestrian or ECE Equestrian for IHSA. Check it out.
0: Very good. Thank you. And of course, you—you uh, you can best way to listen to our show is our app. It's free. It's easy. Just go to the iOS or Android app store and search for Horse Radio Network. You'll find it there. And the Horses in the Morning Show is one of eight different shows that we do here on the network. And you'll find them all there. It's very simple to listen to them. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're there at Horse Radio. And we'll be back here. We're here Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Jamie will be here. And we'll be doing our Wednesday show. Thank you so much, Emily, and we'll look forward
1: to talking to you
0: again next month.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Talk to you soon. Bye.